I'm Chris Turner, and this is the Empowered Parent Podcast. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me once again are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. I thought we would talk about something from one of our favorite books written by one of our favorite people in the field, uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson, in Anatomy of the Soul. He talks about uh, attending a medical conference led by Dr. Dan Siegel, who explained how recent discoveries in neuroscience and attachment were really helping people. And he had this to say. In particular, he said that an important part of how people change, not just their experiences, but also their brains, is through the process of telling their stories to an empathetic listener. When a person tells her story and is truly heard and understood, both she and the listener undergo actual changes in their brain circuitry. They feel a greater sense of emotional and relational connection, decreased anxiety, and greater awareness of and compassion for others' suffering. Using the language of neuroscience, Dr. Siegel labeled the change increased integration. And I thought that's what we're really seeking with our kids, right? Increased integration. Love that piece of Anatomy of the Soul that you read there, um, because it mentions two of our favorites, and that is Kurt and Dan Siegel. And uh, Dan Siegel has his video, and we say this every episode, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, you can find it on YouTube, where he um, explains like attachment styles. And I remember the first time I watched it, I just thought, oh my gosh, this guy is just crazy, because he doesn't just explain them, he kind of character acts out each attachment style. Um, but but I do love that that um, I do love that intro to Anatomy of the Soul, and, and it's in the context of of Kurt being with his mother when she died uh, in the hospital years ago. Um, but this idea of of kind of just sharing your story with an empathetic listener, and I think it's important to to focus on the word empathetic listener for mm -hmm. for a bit. It's not just you know the person in front of you at the line in Starbucks. Right. Trust me, they don't want to know. Uh, I've tried. They really don't want to know. <laughs> um, Have you really tried? No, I was just making that up. Okay. Uh, make it just, funny. Just checking. Um, maybe I have. I don't know. I forget. It. <laughs> but 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 really, kind of, um, you know, sharing and processing because because you know, I think most of us grew up in this. You just need to get over it kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we, we so deeply understand now that you can't just get over stuff, right? You have to um, you have to work through things. You have to process things. And, and there's just something powerful about getting the words out of your head mm -hmm. and, and getting, getting them into reality and into the, to the ears of empathetic listeners who people... And I think the empathetic listener part is, is crucial because... Um, there's 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 an, a sense of felt safety when you're around somebody um, who's an empathetic listener, mm. right? And it's not just I mean, an empathetic listener is easy to find. You just have to find a therapist <laughs> who will listen. And then, uh, as my friend Melanie says, thank you for sharing. <laughs> who I always, um, anytime Melanie tells me anything, I just look at her and say, thank you for sharing. <laughs> you know, she doesn't laugh as much as you just did, Chris. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. <laughs> She says it professionally. So. She does say it professionally. <laughs> I get paid to say that. Well, I think there's a lot of power in sharing stories. And especially for me, I've found that as I share stories, I become more aware of 
things that I do and why I do things. Mm. So I've had, you know, lots of opportunities to share stories. And there have been times when I've been sharing a story about an interaction with my kids to somebody else. And in telling that story, I have gone and had those like light bulb moments of, oh, that's, that's why, why I do that. <laughs> right. Like just in the middle of telling somebody about it, right? But I think where I have to find the line of sharing stories, right? I find those those people that are in in similar situations as me, in similar life places as me. And I can share stories not only about my own history, I can share stories about struggles that I'm having with my kids, but not in a way that is commiserating, Mm. right? I think we can do that too easily. We can kind of commiserate, oh yes, I had a, I had a terrible childhood or, oh, you know. And it turns into a gripe session, which is what we really don't want. Right. Because gripe sessions don't bring healing. Mm -hmm. They just bring commiseration and yeah, my kid does that too. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, I'm, you know, whatever. I mean, we just. Like a short term feel good, but there's no long term. Right. There's there's no actual healing that comes from that. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we tell a story to somebody who's, who listens to us, not to give us advice, Mm. not to tell us how to fix it, but just listens to hear us. Mm. I think a lot, a lot of healing can come from that. I think what, um, I think what you and Chris just described though, is also the danger of un, uh, poorly managed support groups. Mm. Yeah, Cause, for sure. Because I remember when we were still fostering and we went to support groups because, you know, you have to have a certain number of support group hours every year um, for your ongoing uh, training. And just sitting in the circle with like 18 or 20 other people and just they would just complain about their agency. That's literally all they did for mm. an hour and a half. Um, and so... I think or we complain le- about their kids. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we learned a, that too. I think we learned a lot of lessons in those, and so now when when Kayla leads support groups because she leads way more, I occasionally make a guest appearance <laughs> at a support group, um, and so but she she doesn't sort of have a set agenda, but she always drives the conversation in a positive direction mm. because I think we have to um, be in the business of trying to help everybody reach up instead of putting people down, if you know what I mean by that. Right. Um, because we can all do better. Um, the thing about the empathetic listener is it provides safety for you, which allows you uh, to, to be yourself. So there is this, um, Kelly actually tells us the story um, when we speak places, um, and she shared it on the podcast before, but it's when she realized why my daughter, one of our daughters favoring me over her mm-hmm. bothered her, she actually, the first time she, she kind of had a breakthrough in that is she told that story in front of a group while she was teaching class. And so in a bizarre twist of events, I had actually maybe, and maybe me leaving the room actually helped trigger, trigger this for you. I don't know, but I wasn't in the room at the time. I just stepped out to go to the bathroom and, and she kind of got to that point and she shared the story. Um, and it was a real moment of connection with the class. It was also a real moment of, of clarity for her because it was such an empathetic and open and um, um, compassionate audience. That's not the sympathetic audience. That's, yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and afterwards, when we were cleaning up and packing the stuff away, she said, dude, um, she doesn't often call me dude. Uh, <laughs> she said, dude, you, sh- you missed it, man. I had a real, real breakthrough moment. And I don't think that moment would have happened if she didn't feel safe in front of that audience. Mm. And so 
I think the lesson for us is that we do need to be vulnerable um, with people who are close to us, our friends, our family, um, you know, over, over coffee, um, you know, sometimes uh, we'll go over to Chris and Kelly's house or they'll come over here after the kiddos have gone to bed and we've got, you know, teenagers now, so it makes it a little easier for us to do this and we'll come open and crack open a bottle of wine or, or whatever. And just, um, sometimes they bring tacos, which is awesome. <laughs> um, and we'll just kind of sit and just hang out and just talk about stuff that's, that's maybe been bothering us of late. And, and I think there's just such, um, those are some of my favorite things we do, right. Is just to kind of sit with, with people who get us and just be honest about who we are. Mm. And, and, and I think that for us, that's something we've tried to create an environment in our home where our kids could feel the same way too, yeah. because, because some of them don't have implicit, uh, explicit memories mm. of their histories, but some of them do. And, you know, with our oldest son now, we're at a place where we're actually having some conversations about his childhood that he's, initiating as he's really trying to process that and, and and talking to him and helping him understand a lot of what he's experienced um, would not be something that, that Kayla or I would be able to do if we ourselves had not been the recipients of empathetic listeners mm. helping us, right? Yeah. Um, I used to be terrified of flying. Anybody that's ever heard, you probably, I've probably told the story on this podcast, um, you know, for years, um, it's the only thing I would speak about from a stage was my flying story. But, um, you know, sitting down and, and, and just talking about that and with, with Kayla and uh, our friend Melanie, who we mentioned earlier. And then, uh, oddly enough, the first time um, that we flew after I became aware that I choked on a plane as a child was with Melanie. And we talked a little bit about flying. Uh, very little bit. Kayla and Melanie mostly just spoke uh, while I stared out the window. Uh, but we did talk a little bit during like the, the initial climb out of Dallas about that. And there is just, um, I don't want to say magical, um, but it's almost magical. It certainly is very powerful being able to get those words out of your head and out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why um, a lot of people are big proponents of writing, handwriting your story, right? Curtain in Anatomy of the Soul, when they talk about writing your autobiography, actually wants you to handwrite it because there's something about writing that gets it out. You know, there's these programs um, with with foster kids, I think one in Kansas City that's coming to mind now where they have musicians work with the kids and they lay down tracks and they have the kids like rap over them or sing over them. Mm. And it's a, and while they're writing, they're helping these kids get their stories out of their head because there was a men, tremendous, tremendous, tremendous healing power in just verbalizing your struggles. Mm. That's why talk therapy is so successful, right? I mean, there, there are some therapists that have waiting lists for you to get into because they're just so great at just listening and helping you see clearly what you yourself cannot see. Yeah. Um, just, the, just the power of the word. I mean, the Bible talks about how powerful words are, mm -hmm. and it's absolutely true. Words mean things. Words do mean things, and they have power. Yep. And I think when our kids are too young to be able to tell the story, we have to tell that story mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. That's good. And kind of continuing to... Um, tell them things that happened, right? One of the things that I've kind of learned over the last few years is just when someone experiences trauma, they need to process that trauma. Yeah. And the sooner they process it, the better, mm. right? We're not always there when that trauma has occurred, um, but sometimes we are, right? So um, one thing looking back um, that I wish I had known is that, when we were fostering, one of the things that would have been really helpful for some of our kids 
would have been to help them process those kids that were leaving Mm. would have been to help not only the kids that were leaving, but also the kids that were staying process what was happening by telling them that story and by continuing to tell them. So they didn't make up a story in their head, right? right? Especially the ones that were too little to really ask questions, but to say, you know, so-and-so went to go live with his aunt Mm. and he's going to stay with his aunt and we might get to go see him sometimes, but we might not, you know, and just being able to talk through that story, I think would have been very helpful in helping some of our kids be able to process the loss of these children coming in and out of our home. So, but I think we can tell those stories to our kids and help them have a narrative until they're able to tell that story themselves. Yeah. I think where we learned that lesson, um, and that's, that's a really great, great insight there, Kayla, but the place where that lesson really came home for us is with one of our daughters who, um, who, we, who was in ther- just you know, talk therapy and then play therapy for a while. Um, from that, the therapist helped us understand that a lot of her anxieties were born from the fact, centered around a foster child who left when she was little, who they were kind of like in the foxhole together. They were like twins at the same age. And then he left. And then at that time, um, our lack of understanding of how to help her through that, plus the fact that she was what, three. Not even. She was like two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half and not really having the words. Um, she had to process that loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she processed that loss six years later. Um, and we didn't know. And so, so much of, of her anxiety and negative behaviors were rooted in this loss that, that she never processed and we didn't know how to help her. So I think that's really, really great advice, Kayla, that, that when we have kids leave our home, it's not just damaging to the child who, because even if they're leaving for a positive reason, that's still a relationship disruption for right. them, right? And so, right. but we have to think in terms of the kiddos, are not leaving that's a relationship disruption for them as well and then figure out a way to um to help them into that story and it's easy for for us to say help them into that story because when we've tried to address this issue with our daughter uh, both us and her, her therapist uh, she told her therapist i don't want to talk about that hmm. and so you're like well, well what now Right. And while you just keep investing in that relationship, because as time progressed and, and she felt more secure and she felt more confident in herself and she had processed some of that, she was at a place where she now is able to talk about it a little, still probably needs to talk about it more than she does. But, mm-hmm. but you know, healing takes a long time and healing is traumas individual, healing's individual. And so... Um, we have to remember that because our kids will not heal at the same the same pace that we think they should in the same way that our spouses. Um, you know, Kayla and I have had some conflict over the years um, when either she was processing something faster than I was or I was processing th- something faster than she was, and it's a differentiation in speed, much like on the highway. Right. It's a differentiation of speed that can get you into trouble if you're not accounting for it. Yeah. And I don't think it has to just be relational loss either. Um, I think it can be other kinds of losses. So like, for instance, if we're having a big move, mm-hmm. right? So you're moving to a new house or you're moving across state lines or the fridge dies. 
Fridge dies. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there's a story behind that. <laughs> um, I can tell just based upon her reaction yes. just now. Oh my we, we gracious had, me. The, the only way we got the kids to go to bed that night is if we took pictures next to their fridge that was leaving. The fridge that didn't with them. work. Them the, with the fridge. The fridge that didn't work. We weren't just like cosmetically upgrading our fridge. <laughs> like fridge. food was rotting in the kitchen. Right. Oh my goodness gracious. But it was traumatic for our children because it was a loss, right? For them, this was oh, the, the only friend. fridge. Fridgy the fridge. Fridgy the fridge. The only fridge they could remember. I mean, I remember as a kid, my parents got a new car. I remember crying because they were getting rid of the car and they're looking at me like I'm crazy because it's it's an old broken down car that they're getting like this nice new car. But I was so sad. But I think we can we can help kids by telling them the stories. Right. I mean, you can make picture books of of what's happening. Right. Mm. Especially when you've got those life transitions of moving from one place to the next or the loss of, you know, friends when you move from one school to another, or when you go from, you know, if you, um, you know, you guys have moved recently and had to change schools with some schools, you know, changing friends. And so you can kind of tell your kids those stories so that they don't make up their own stories. Right. right? And you can kind of remind them of why we moved to a new house and where we're going to find new friends and what we're going to do and how we're going to meet those new friends or whatever. But you can continue to, to tell our kids stories about transitions and, um, and help them make sense of the world around them. Yeah. And I think that the times that you can find yourself helping your kids with their stories sometimes they come out of left field like we were at dinner one night and our two younger kids the two adopted ones we were talking about uh, changes in clothing clothing sizes like you know one of the kids was had outgrown a a certain size was it into a different size and uh, our youngest is uh much further along developmentally for his age than most of his peers. He's yeah. taller yeah, yeah. and bigger. And um, we, we keep joking that, you know, the seven-year-old's about to catch up to and pass the nine-year-old yeah. in terms of, you know, size and that kind of stuff. And in some ways they are wearing the same clothes, yeah. same size clothes. Yeah. And uh, he asked, you know, well, why is that? And we're like, well, you know, it's probably, you know, genetic. Your birth mom and your birth dad were probably tall. And he and so then that the discussion of well what, what are genetics you know and <laughs> little little side thing there, but you know these are questions about his his own story that we don't necessarily have concrete answers for him to, but we can help him along like you said earlier, Kayla, to keep him from just making stuff up right that might be harmful later on yeah when he's trying to process those that yeah. sense of loss that he's gonna have. But that's good. I mean, you can piece together. I mean, it makes sense that somebody in his family was probably tall, you know, in that biological family. So you can kind of draw back to that story and Mm -hmm. get him to begin talking about that story. Because sometimes our kids don't want to talk about their past. They don't want to talk about their history. They just want to pretend it didn't happen when Mm -hmm. inside they're thinking about it. So if we can use those little non-threatening things like, oh, you know, your maybe your birth mom was tall. Right. It can get them to begin to talk about that story of their history and their past. Because, you know, going to that, that genetic side of things, they asked, you know, like, well, you know, Danny, why are you so tall? Because, you know, 
grandma and granddaddy aren't tall. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm taller than both of my parents. Yeah. Considerably so. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, according to my father and my mom's dad was not a tall man, but several of my cousins right. are. Yeah. And so, you know, my father thinks that at least on his side of the family it comes from his grandfather who I never met. Mm. He was, he was my height. And so that's, that was kind of the conversation we had with him about, you know, like yeah. you were just saying, the your, the birth family might might not even be birth mom or birth dad. It might yeah. be somebody else. And so, yeah. So I'm like six inches taller than all the other males in my family. Mm. And according to my dad, he had an uncle Bill who was my height. Mm. And so I've never seen anybody in my family as tall as I am. But somewhere back there, mm-hmm. there's somebody. And so, yeah, that's kind of a cool thing to connect him with. And that's just one of those kind of little things that helps us yeah. fill in our kids' stories that, you know, sometimes in those moments, you just don't even think it's that big of a deal, but down the road that might pay dividends. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think just just being able to talk just a little bit, especially as some of our kids, as they're, they're scared to go there, or they're not sure how mm. you're going to react or whatever. If you can be the one that says something like, well, I wonder... I wonder if your birth mom was tall. Mm-hmm. Wonder if you're, you know, you had a somebody in your family that was tall. Just kind of gets them going. Oh, that's a safe place to go. That's mm. a safe story to talk about. And if that's a safe story, what else might be a safe right. story for me to talk about? Right. Yeah. Because stories. I mean, ultimately, that's that's all we've been talking about. Right? Is that stories can bring healing mm-hmm. in telling those stories and and retelling those stories. And revisiting those things in a healthy way, not in a way to blame or point fingers or anything like that, but in a way that says, this is what happened. And this is because of this happening, I do this, Mm -hmm. or you do this, or we do this together, right? We've been through this um, big event. And Mm. because of this big event, we react differently now or whatever, you know, I mean, we can, we can point back to it and become aware of it. Right. What is it? Kurt always says um, in the anatomy of the soul, he always talks about paying attention to what you're paying attention attention to. to, Right. And I think that when we start to pay attention to our stories and we start to pay attention to how we're, how we're interacting with people, we can, bring a lot of healing to our story and to our kids' story. And I think something else that's important to remember, and you kind of touched on it, Chris, is there's almost no detail that you think, well, it's just a really tiny detail. Why I'm six foot five from a genetic standpoint is a really tiny detail, mm-hmm. but I could recall it immediately when you talked about your son being tall, yeah. like immediately. And so this is little thing that, that connects me to a story that in the same way, our adopted children and our foster children would, you know, we think, well, we're connecting them to a story. Well, I've never met Uncle Bill. I've never seen a picture of the man. I know that he died when he was younger um, in an accident. That's it. He was tall and he died in an accident. That's all I know about him. But I feel connected to him and all those people that surrounded him generationally in the family because I'm tall. Right. Like my dad's Uncle Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I, I think we've told some good stories tonight. I think so. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> I know I learned something I, I didn't know about Uncle Bill. And 
Now I do. I didn't know about I Uncle Bill say, either. I, I, was about to say, I didn't know if Kayla knew about Uncle Bill. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I've ever heard Revealed that story. for the first time on the Empowered Parent Podcast. There you go. <laughs> well, we hope that in sharing stories tonight, it's an example of how you can share stories with your kids and in return, show them that it's a safe place for them to share their stories with you. Like Ryan said earlier, we're all looking for that empathetic listener. Sometimes the empathetic listener is us. Yeah, that's so true, Chris. Well, thank you both for sharing your stories. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. If you have a question for us or a story that you need to share, and you can cram it into 280 characters, well, more power to you. You can tweet it to us at One Big Happy Home. If you need a little bit more room, like most stories do, feel free to email it to us at info at onebighappyhome.com. We've also got a Facebook group just for podcast listeners. Search for the Empowered Parent Podcast Community. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or Spotify. Just search for the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from our show, we would appreciate a review in any of these locations. The Empowered Parent Podcast is committed to helping parents of foster and adopted kids through connecting, correcting, and empowering principles. Thanks for listening.